Welcome to the broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Country boys and girls getting down on the phone. Come on around back, Arizona. We're going to go all the way out to the back 40. It's the first Saturday of the month, 8 o'clock hour, your outdoor living hour of Rosie on the house. And that means we're talking farm fresh commodities. And to do that, we've got spokeswoman Julie Murphy in studio again with us. It's all how we kick off the outdoor living hour every uh, at the first Saturday of every month. I don't know, it was about four, five, six, seven years now. And yes, what we try and do is connect Arizona homeowners with whatever commodity is coming off our farms and ranches and real time so as they're doing their shopping in the grocery store they know they're supporting local farmers they have a better idea of where the food came from you know right here in the state by listening they get to become familiar with our farmers and ranchers uh it's changed my eating you know i was looking at all the different things in our refrigerator the other day that have changed you know uh the salsa we've got the santa cruz salsa now yay um it's just, uh, you know, hopefully Arizona's are taking uh, the same information and changing their lifestyle to support as local as you possibly can. That is so true. And it's actually my favorite Saturday of the month, hanging out with the Romero family and Romy and your whole crew. I just enjoy it thoroughly. Wonderful. Yes. Well, we always love having you here. And you bring a guest with you, one of the local farmers or ranchers that are support the Farm Bureau's mission and introduce your guest this morning. Yes, I'm very excited to introduce Haley Andrus. She's from up north. She's one of our ranchers. In fact, her and her husband Milo um, have Andrus Cattle Company. And the other little caveat that I want to mention about Haley is that she's the president of Apache County Farm Bureau. So Haley, tell us your story. Tell us the story of, about you and your husband getting started here in northern Arizona, raising cattle and kids. You have five girls. Cattle and kids, for sure. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. And, and I got to ask you something first, though. In where you all are in Apache County, do you catch calf country? Nine, either 9.30 a.m. or 92? No. <laughs> oh, okay. No. So, my, so I need, yeah, We have goals. a great Flagstaff affiliate. And I just wasn't sure if it, it reached quite that far out to it, your It ranch. might, but I didn't know about it. So <laughs> okay. I will for sure try. <laughs> She's busy raising cattle and kids. So tell us about your operation and how you guys got started. Yes. Yeah, so um, we are relatively new to Arizona. We've been here nine years and we came from Idaho. And so it's a steep learning curve for us from the green fields of Idaho to the rangeland of Arizona. So yeah, um, we came with the help of Milo's parents and bought a ranch in Apache County, and beautiful been, area. It is. It is. I I don't think so in June, but <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but I don't go back to Idaho in June. It's too painful. But I do. I have grown to really love um, the rangelands and the mountains of Arizona. So we're happy to be there. And Milo, your husband, he's also. A large animal vet. So did you guys, you're kind of juggling family, cattle, what yes. he does as a profession. Talk about that a little bit too. Yeah. So previously, so we, we went to, um, we met in school. He was in uh, Washington State University at school and I was there at graduate school. 
And then he vetted full time in a mixed animal practice in Wyoming and then in Idaho. And we'd always planned to go back to his family's ranch in Idaho. And through a water conflict, they ended up selling part of the ranch and we reinvested down here. And so our roles kind of changed from being veterinarian, well, not us, my husband's role changed from being a full-time vet to part-time rancher. And now we've flopped that the last nine years and he's, we are full-time ranchers and part-time vets. Wow. Um, and that's really interesting what you said, a water conflict. You know, Steph has said it before, the the current president of the Farm Bureau, that whiskey's for drinking, water's for fighting. And <laughs> yes. you know, who would yeah. have thought a water dispute would have relocated you from Idaho to even a more arid <laughs> desert in Arizona? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I don't think in the West you're getting away from water conflict, <laughs> no matter where you are. Well, no matter where you are. <laughs> and the other, you told a story I remember, and I was in the group when you were explaining it, you have a degree in environmental science, but your parents weren't like, Yahoo, do that degree. (laughs) Kind of what what happened with that. Yeah, so I was raised on a small farm and ranch, and we had sheep and cattle and horses. And um, so I graduated and wanted to go to graduate school and I met a professor who was happened to be in environmental science he wanted me I was in education and so he wanted an educational component to a project he was working on that went over the course of several years and so he invited me to come and so yeah it was hard on my farmer dad that his daughter would go and be in environmental science he was so worried about me and <laughs> that I he would wanted to come back hugging trees and not horses and <laughs> but you stuck it out and it's actually ended up being one of the best things for you can because you kind of can speak the language of those that might have more environmental science concerns and yet you're also in ag production. so Yeah, it was fun to be in that space um, where I was definitely a black sheep and I was continually explaining agriculture and to all my coworkers and my students that I taught. And it was, it was a voice that hadn't been heard in a Washington State University right. in the Department of Environmental Science. So it was, it was really formative for me to learn about their point of view, but also um, to share ours and and I maybe one story will illustrate this. After my last day, I defended my thesis. And if you've ever been in a thesis defense, they're brutal. And so, so I heard. Yes. And so my professor and I are walking back to our offices, and I'm just kind of completely wore out. And he said to me, I have a question for you. After two years, he said, Do you consider yourself an environmentalist? And I just laughed so hard, and I said, aren't we all for the environment? Yes. And and no one more than people that make their living off the land and agriculture. Of course, we are all for the environment. And and he laughed and he said, yeah, that's right. Oh, I love that story. <laughs> so what was the thesis? Really fascinating. Environment? <laughs> yes. And actually, it was um, kind of the tension between rural areas and urban areas when we talk about environmental education. So, you know, the science, everybody can agree on. When we get out on the fringes, that's where we get more polarized ideas. If a rancher, especially in Arizona, if he doesn't realize that he's actually just a grass farmer and he's capitalizing on that grass producing a product that is high protein, high energy for the people of America, then that's when we get environmental concerns. Because really, we're grass farmers. And when we take care of our grass, that takes care of our cows. 
and that takes care of people. That's so good. So in your production, your cattle company, you're not like retail direct market. You sell through the traditional beef auctions? Yes. Okay. Yes. So we are a cow-calf operation. So we have about 600 mama cows. And those, they will produce a calf. We will keep some of those calves as our next our next group of mama cows. But uh, most of those we will sell. And we actually retain ownership even though they don't stay in Arizona. We're part of Country Natural Beef, which is just a co-op of ranchers. We are GAP4 certified, which is like the global animal production that sets husbandry standards. And when our beef go into this program, then they are marketed as natural beef, and we retain them all the way until harvest date. Even though they're they're in feed yards, but to be part of this program, they're not small feed yards. They have okay. to have a, a maximum like free range chickens. Free range counts and a maximum area for them to yes, roam yes. on the range. Yes, so, so they go. So we sell them at about six hundred pounds. And no, we don't sell them. We they leave our operation at about six hundred pounds, and then they continue on through the process. And what's our the partners. name of that uh, program? It's called Country Natural Beef. Country Natural Beef. That's mm-hmm. the co-op. That's the ranch. But then co-op. the the is is it their standards or is there another agency standards for the yes. amount of acreage and. Um, they, it's called, it's GAP for certification. Well, there's different certifications yeah. in the GAP and that's global animal production and that, and they actually hire a third party auditor. So we are audited every 18 months on these practices, whether, um, like at what age we brand and castrate that's under a certain age, at what age we wean, they can't be weaned less than six months old and then they look at our our books our like our records they come and look at the place make sure that our facilities are um are not harmful to the animals and and they probably have scheduled ones but they probably have surprise visits too correct i mean auditors Um, typically they usually call us okay (laughs) okay but when you're going out that remote you want to make sure someone's home by (laughs) by the time you make that the the effort to make that drive exactly and the standards are so high it's not like if they call you the day before you've got you know if it's all out of whack you're not going to be able to get get it all cleaned up in a day to to pass the inspection right yeah and did you came from a farm family did your family raise cattle at all Yes. So, okay. and and my family actually still does a direct market. Okay. Okay. So you're very familiar with it. And for our listeners, you know, you're part of that group of ranchers here in Arizona that raises enough beef to feed eight million Americans. And if we can't buy it directly from you, we can at fillyourplate.org. You can search for beef, and up will pop fifty different beef producers. Fifty beef producers here in Arizona. In Arizona, correct. Wonderful. And. Um, Haley, the name of your cattle company again. Andrus Cattle Company. Andrus. Andrus. Andrus Cattle Company. You all operate out of Apache County. Anybody not familiar with Arizona, that's the county that the four, contains the four corners. You're in the northeast side of the state, uh, south, north of I-40, I'm guessing? No, You're just south, south. Just south of I-40. Mm-hmm. So you're at the very, very bottom just, of Apache. No, Right in the no, middle. Right in the middle. Apache's long. <laughs> <laughs> we have big counties out here. That is true. It's Rosie on the house. We'll be back with Julie Murphy from the Arizona Farm Bureau.
and Haley Andrus of Andrus Cattle Company. Our topic for today is beef with the Arizona Farm Bureau. We've got a cattle rancher in studio with us. Haley, I think you're the first one from Apache County. Yeah. Either, yes. either farming or ranching. <laughs> I'm to trying join. to. Like the Romero family does, I want to try to get all over the state of Arizona. Well, it's a it's a long drive to it the is. studio. So we appreciate you making the effort and joining us here. Yes. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And I think it might be the farthest, you know, I is we'll have to do the maps, but I, I Think you're probably, it could be the furthest. Yeah, you Do I get an I, award I of some kind? Today. <laughs> you do, I promise. I'll take you out to dinner if you want to go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Julie, I'll let you continue the conversation. You know, we're talking yeah. during the break. You had a few questions so that you wanted things, to ask that you know the back history of, so I'll let you Right, kind of offline. We've talked. I'm very curious about your science background, your master's in environmental science. You've had some interesting conversations with people over the years since then, and one of them happened to be an animal activist. And what did they say to you, and how did you answer it? Yeah, so she was at an event. We were with the Farm Bureau on the Capitol and they were the Humane Society was also on the Capitol on that day and so she had come to talk to us and she at the end approached me and said, you know, I, I eat meat. I have nothing against meat. But what I don't understand is that 4-H. And she said, you know, you let those kids name that animal, work with that animal and then you let them sell them and those kids are crying and bawling because their friend's going down the road and and she said, I don't understand that. And at the time, I didn't have time to respond. <laughs> and so that question has just been on my mind. And, and in fact, a second person asked me that. And when he asked me, I said, you know, I have been wanting to write just an open letter to the Humane Society activists to try to explain how these two polarizing ideas can sit in my mind just fine. And, and I guess I want to... First, I would like to address the crying. So my kids, we have, in fact, we have three steers this year and one lamb. Four of my kids are going to do a 4-H project. And they are out there every night, and they are training those. And my oldest daughter came in and said, oh, my gosh, Mom, I love this steer. I love him more than Maui. That was last year. I love him more than (laughs) Boris. That was the year before. And she said, I love him so much. And I know that in a few months, there will be tears again. And never fails. We come home from the fair. We've had a great week. The girls go out to the barn to do. We still have a milk cow, and we have chores to do out there and they come back in in tears and I just know it's going to come because they don't really realize they're gone until they go out there (laughs) and they come back in tears and I guess what I want to explain to that lady is that I would worry if there wasn't tears that's what I love is that they respect that animal and they love that animal and they watch it go down the road and of course they should be sad right but yet we just we we have a utilitarian worldview where those animals were were built to to feed people, and that we feel that we are doing a great service as beef producers, that we are part of the two percent of our nation that feed the other ninety eight percent, and and we feel a pride in that. But I would especially be sad if there wasn't tears. Oh, I even at the end of that cried over my. Uh, swine project, 4-H projects. Yes. I mean, that's pig. And <laughs> you t- can love a pig. You, you can, can love a pig. And sometimes we don't get as much sympathy as you do with the lambs and the beef, but it's true. Yeah. You really get attached to your animals. And yes. I love your point that you'd be concerned if your kids yes. didn't have... And I think those two ideas can can be at peace with each other. Right. That we can love an animal and we can eat it 
and we can be sad to see it go. Right. Even though. And because of the humane practices, which you're certainly epitomizing with that GAP4 program or certification program with your beef, it's very important to take care of your animals and our ranchers and farmers here in Arizona get that. Yes. And I, and our family, we went to in partnership with just a friend that was a butcher by trade and we supplied a cooler box. And, and so now we, for our own family, we do our own beef and my kids, they beg to even be let out of school. And when we butcher day and we, we all go, we all we all package the meat. We do it all. And I want them a part of the process the whole way through. Now, I also have to clarify um, something here. Because, Haley, your kids, you have five. Yes. They're all girls. Yes. Okay. Now, I have three girls. Oh, good. But I also have a son. Uh-huh. And the experience for a boy when it's harvest time is totally different. <laughs> when the butcher shows up, that's for me. He's like, favorite time. He's out there. He's got, he, you know, he, he's ready to go. He's observing. He wants to help. Um, you know, it's it's a completely different experience. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, you need to bring him next time because Milo needs that, and he he loves to get. Maybe this is too much information. You can cut it out if you want. <laughs> but he, we do a science lesson too, and he gets the air compressor. This is the girl's favorite, and puts it in the esophagus and and the, blows up the, the lungs. lungs so the girls can see oh, all sure. of that. And he talks about anyway. So and here's, here's where Manudo comes from. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Knows all the parts. They really understand the animal. Okay, so on the lighter side, well, I and and on the knowing the parts, that's one of their favorite thing is the the meat selection. You know, where you're trying to decide how much ground beef do you want, or what are your rib cuts? How are you going to cut up your brisket? And you know, you always got to have the tri tip, and not everyone knows how to cut the tri tip out the the true way. So it's that that's uh, all the kids really enjoy that part is because yeah. they all have their favorite meals that we make that they like and no we yeah. need more we need less uh, we need more ribs this time uh-huh. <laughs> yeah and on the lighter side what's your favorite cut Haley? because three ounce serving of lean beef is an excellent source of protein as they always say in the beef industry oh i'm a sucker for steak oh so am i sirloin steak yep can't get can't get better than that better than that all right, wonderful. Sirloin steak, that's a hard, that is a hard one to beat. We've got more with the Arizona Farm Bureau. Rosie on the house. Just joining us. It is the first Saturday of the month here at Rosie on the House, the eight o'clock hour, our outdoor living hour. We always bring in the Farm Bureau to talk about local commodities coming out of our Arizona farms and ranches. The ag industry is a thirty-two billion dollar industry for the state of Arizona, and we like to connect our listening audience with uh, who those farmers and ranchers are. So, as you're out purchasing food for your family, you're supporting local farmers and ranchers by buying, you know, instead of an out-of-state product, an in-state product. And we're talking beef today. There are 29 cuts of beef that meet government guidelines for being lean. Do you have any idea what that guideline is for being a lean cut? You asked that question of uh, Lauren Mayling with the Arizona 
beef council, she would be able to rattle that, that off in a heartbeat. I have to worry about all of agriculture, so I'm not sure I can tell <laughs> that, you that That one. might be a little much specialist. <laughs> and then there was another interesting one where it talks about you should cook it at 160 degrees. And I, I don't use a thermometer when I'm cooking. I should. I don't either. You know what I do? Take your hand. A friend of mine who was a chef taught me this. Touch your pinky to your thumb and then push on your thumb. That's well done. Then as you go to your ring finger, it's less, so that's medium. Then your middle finger, medium rare, and then your pointing finger and your thumb, that's that's I your ultimate rare. So I just sit okay, there and I use set. that trick. <laughs> but I have no idea how if I ever get to 160 or how long it's at 160 or anything like that. But 160 yeah. is what you want the inside yeah. of your temperature. Suddenly I want to grill my hand. It looks so good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I have a fun question for Haley. Again, offline we were asking, we were talking about this and... So she has something that you can tell us that relates to feeding your crew and the meals on the ranch. What is, what's up with this? Yeah, so I love food, and I love, um, I love feeding people. It's important to me to, to have, you know, to sit my favorite places at the kitchen table and to sit and share a meal and then sit another couple hours and visit. And so food is important to me, but also working is important to me. And so I like to be a part of the roundup and... In, on our ranch, we will round up to a water hole, which means gather all the cows into a water trap when we brand. And we do that for a couple of reasons. We um, don't want to stress the calves out too much, so we don't want to push them very far. So we do several brandings at several different water holes as we just cool. gather to a water hole. But I want to be there in the morning, and I want to be out riding with my kids. I want to be part of the gather. And that's always a little bit tricky to figure out how to do a nice meal and and also be and part still of the be crew. part of the crew, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> and and in fact, I have the reputation in our area with all our several ranchers from our area. Our friends will come and join us, and we help them, and they help us. And on branding days, and they tease me that I want to be known as the very best cook, ranch cook on the mountain. And my secret ingredient is I don't feed the crew till four o'clock. <laughs> you get them hungry. <laughs> you get them really hungry. And I don't mean to every time. I'm like, no, we will eat. If I, then by the time you get in, it's ten, and then you work for three or four. Anyway, it, inevitably, it's a late lunch. So I, I, my favorite go-to is a taco because you can, you can, I can cook the meat a day in advance we bring it and then we have a branding fire that heats our branding irons and I ask one of the ropers I say you tell me when there's 10 calves left and I'll start the meal and so then we just take the ashes we bring a Dutch ovens and we warm up the food right on the branding fire and we can have a taco um, so that's my go-to there there was a fail one time we were going in and we had all the trucks and trailers in a line and someone was coming out on the little dirt road and this lady stopped me. She rolled down her window and she said, oh, are you doing a roundup today? And I said, yeah. And she said, oh, I watch a lot of John Wayne's. I know all about this. So <laughs> you're serving beans, right? Because they always serve beans. And at the t- all I had brought that day was hot dogs. I'm like, no, I'm <laughs> serving <Sorry>. hot dogs. <laughs> she was probably hung- hungry. She was expecting some of your beans. I know. <laughs> on that point with these roundups and we're What's it like ranching on public lands? The, out west, that's a very common thing. Whereas if I'm in the Midwest and I'm raising cattle, I've got some irrigated pasture and I can, you know, move the cattle to the different pastures as the grass grows. But it's, right. and we do that too. We have rotational grazing yes. here in the West too, but it's just a different world, right? Yes. And I comparisons from Midwest to 
West, I think the biggest comparison is it's our pastures are huge. They're huge. So even we rotationally graze. So uh, we do have a forest permit. So we take about 450 of our mama cows to a forest service permit. And we actually have a really tight grazing management schedule on that. But that, so we will move our cows every four three to four weeks. Some pastures are so small, we only stay in there 10 days and we're moving them out again. But um, when I say moving them out, like in the Midwest, that might take a couple hours. Even at our ranch in Idaho, that'll take two hours. It takes us three days wow. to clear a pasture. These pastures are anywhere from 10,000 acres to 25,000 acres. Do you yeah. use any other capabilities to help with the Roundup? I, I know there's uh, one of our ranchers in Mojave, they've even and used utilized helicopters of course you have to have a pilot for that but they're starting to experiment with drones yeah because our areas are so large large yes we've actually had some like when we're out five or something then we'll get a friend that loves to fly a drone and he'll go look for us (laughs) in certain pastures that are heavily treed and i mean one particular one it took us three weeks to clear and we were still out two yeah, yeah, I was calling all my kids' friends because they. I said I'm going to have a mutiny when I tell my kids I have to. They have to ride again in the morning, and can we borrow friends? Because if they're a friend comes, then then they're <laughs> they were probably <laughs> exhausted. But yeah. you're seeing some beautiful country as a rancher, oh, all absolutely. over, and places that no one else goes. Yeah, 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 and and fun to share that with my kids. We were moving some cows this week, and my littlest is four, and. I had to take one of my kids into an appointment, and so I got there late. And when I got on my horse, she said, Oh, Mom, I'm so glad you're here. It's so beautiful today. (laughs) And it was just up on this plateau with all this grass and and good horses and good cows and good kids, and you just can't get any better. And it was fun to see that little four-year-old share that moment, too. So your youngest is four, Mm -hmm. and your oldest is? Fourteen. Fourteen. They're all there together. They're all there together. (laughs) Clustered together. You know, in Apache County and Navajo, Coconino a little bit more than other areas, we do have the wolf issue. Yes, definitely in Apache County. Definitely in Apache County. How are you dealing with that? It's tough. So in 1998, they reintroduced wolves into the Gila and Apache National Forests, and that's in New Mexico and Arizona. And they started with 11 pairs in 1998. And in 2020, the count was 183 um, wolf pairs. So the population is growing exponentially. And and there's a caveat on that. The 183 are actually collared wolves. They expect the actual population to be two to five times larger than that. Really? So um, the goal is 320 pairs before they would take them off the endangered species list. So as you can imagine, livestock losses from wolves have kept up with that exponential rate. And, and they've discovered the wonderful taste of beef. Yes. And they're, a, a young calf is quite an easy target. Mm. And even and we'll have some cow, some cow losses, too. So, yeah, it's, it's been really difficult. We, there were some compensation programs set up in 1998. We're finding them that they're just not able to keep up with what the actual compensation is. And you know, we had a cow go down and... So from our livestock producers, we call the AZDA and they send someone out to confirm that it's a wolf kill. And then once that happens, then you're eligible to apply for compensation. The compensation is only going to be about 75% of the worth of that animal. But what it really does And the worth of that animal doesn't compensate you for the amount of time you've spent raising it, branding it, 
feeding Everything. it, growing it. So this cow was four years old. Aww. We expect her to live six to ten years longer than that and, and keep producing income for the ranch <laughs> through calves. So Farm Bureau is working really hard to help us with those compensation rates. It's we, just a tough pill to swallow. When you have that calf and they said, hey, it's a wolf kill, you're eligible for some compensation. You don't want the compensation. You want the cow. You, and you we the love the back. Game and Fish Department. They're frequently on, but that's the one thing they did that I still can't figure out. I mean, they've explained it. I've tried. Help me understand this. They get done. I'm like, you haven't sold me. <laughs> and for <laughs> yeah. some reason. Some There's a reason we ran them all out 100 right. years ago. It is extremely slow. The process is extremely clunky. So the wolves are just getting into the areas where my husband and I ranch. Mm. Um, so ranchers that are further south and closer to New Mexico, they're experiencing extreme losses. So we just released an article. It's on azfb.org. So even though our ag commodities have gone off, the cost to farm exceeds the ag commodity increases. Uh, a year and a half ago, a bushel, let's see, yeah, it was a bushel of corn was 3.30 a bushel, and now it's 8.14 the last time I looked, oh. which was about two weeks ago. Those ag commodity prices, we say, wow, they're, but that that's a hit for you the as a rancher. Not yes. that it, yeah. <laughs> no, they're not getting no. it because of the cost to farm, but even if you're dealing with higher feed costs. Yeah, the way the corn goes, the way all Which goes, goes back to what you said earlier. Yep. You're really a grass grower. Yes. Right. Yep. So on that point, with the challenges with the wolf and all the other things, what's another big issue for you as a rancher here in the West? It's weather. It's weather, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we are unable in these large grasslands to mitigate risk through irrigation, through other things that other ag producers can do. So in the West, um, we, are, we are at the mercy of the weather, and we are at the mercy of what, especially in Apache County, what comes from the sky during the monsoons. And so... And it's kind of challenging to balance that because you hear a little bit of a different story from a farmer in the valley that can irrigate as long as none of his water's been cut. But for you, you right. depend on some of those summer rains, uh, late summer rains. Yeah. And even your rains in the early spring. Right, yes. Yeah. And and the snowpack, what we can, if we can get a little bit of a, screen bring, a spring green up, that does wonders. It really wonders. is a nice thing. Yeah. We're talking with Julie Murphy of the Arizona Farm Bureau and Haley Andrus of Andrus Cattle Company. We've got one more segment here right after this. All right, Julie, we're down to our final segment here talking beef, and we've been joined by a local cattle rancher down from Idaho. A water dispute moved you from Idaho to Arizona. I don't think there's many people that have left their home state and come to Arizona over a water issue. <laughs> but <laughs> So you hold that title as well There's as also the farthest person who's come yeah. into uh, the studio yeah. on a Saturday morning. Haley Andrus of Andrus Cattle Company. We've talked a little bit about you know the challenges. Talk about the reason y'all do it. I mean, you're not in this business for the challenges. There's got to be a lot of joy and, and a lot of reasons to do it as well. Yeah, that, that's kind of a loaded question. I um, <laughs> I, I won't lie that some of Milo's classmates in vet school call him the educated idiot <laughs> for that you, very reason. You could that. be making how much doing veterinary on, on horses and, and you're doing, you're making how much and, 
and he still to uses a shovel a lot. <laughs> so There's something wholesome in that, though. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, we've got that gene in both of us that we grew up in agriculture. We've got it in our heart. We wanted to raise our kids in the similar way that we were raised. And I feel blessed every day that we get to be doing that. You know, I always say when my kids are all on horses, all seems right in the world. And I still feel that way. And they're learning a lot of lessons that I'm not sure you can get otherwise. When I was meeting Haley in the parking lot and I said, have fun with that traffic, just because I know you live in Apache County and a rural area and how do you guys live here? (laughs) And it's true. Uh, Economically, it's kind of exciting for the state and stuff like that, but it's such a contrast. And I can even remember it from my roots growing up on a farm. You know, on that point, I mean, how do you see it, rural America and certainly rural Arizona? What's the future? I, I don't know. There's there's quite that conversation going on in Apache County right now because um, most of the economy runs because of two coal-fired power plants that are in our county that are slated to close. And with the Biden 3030, they're now moving up those closure dates. And so the future of Apache County looks pretty scary right now. That, that closure will, I think I saw a statistic that it will... Um, change 50% of our schools in our di- or our it will affect 50% of our students in our schools in your schools there because yes, of that yes wow. because so that's the main um, the main employer in our area so that so despite that I, I would say rural Arizona is actually going to grow just because of the strides in broadband and people we saw especially through 2020 that people are moving home if they grew up in a small town and now they could come back because they had good enough internet they could make it down here to the valley once or twice a week and and stay in a rural place so i i think it's hopeful i think it's changing a lot because of that but again in our county alone with the closures it's looking pretty i don't know i don't know what's going to come in to replace those jobs and if something can. And Alfair, you were talking about how you pick up the girls in one area and you have to go do your groceries in the other. So you have to always be very logistically astute in getting it all coordinated. Yes. With People say, girls. where do you shop? And I say, wherever I am. If I'm like <laughs> at the parts store in Sholo, I shop. If I have to go get tires in Holbrook, I shop. If yes. I'm in Round Valley for some reason, I shop. <laughs> That's great. And again, you distribute your beef because you're part of a co-op through the country natural beef i'm assuming we can probably google that Uh, but you did say that at least with your neighbors and the locals sometimes when you have some carryover with your beef you can sell it to them yeah we always have odds and ends that maybe don't fit on the truck or we found later again our pastures are so big and one showed up that we (laughs) hadn't seen and so we just have this running list on my i have a a note on my phone with notes and numbers of people that say, yeah, I would be interested when you have one. And so I can, I never have a shortage of people to, to pawn off our odds and ends on locally. We know your favorite cut is steak. What about the girls? They have to be beef eaters, right? Yeah, I would say steak with them too. And one of the things I've noticed getting to know you over the years is your kids are right in the thick of it. Some of the pictures that you've sent us, the kids are writing. Uh, they're right there with the branding. Uh, your little, your yeah. little girl 
and maybe it's the second to the youngest one. They're all she's just wild. Precious. The second to the youngest one. <laughs> she's ready to get in the thick of it and do everything. Yeah, we have a thing called we do an all-around cowgirl, and they can get their all-around cowgirl award when they can do everything in the branding pen. When they can rope ahead, they can rope the hills. If they can brand, they can give shots. If they can do everything, and then we take them and get them their first belt buckle. That's when they get their all-around cowgirl. So two of the girls have it. The other two are working on it. The four-year-old's just working on riding by herself, which she's pretty sure if she can ride by herself this year, I'll let her on our three-year-old Palomino, who she's in love with. <laughs> <laughs> and she's sure of that. Is Mama sure of that? Sounded like a little like, doubt I am not going to put my four-year-old on a three-year-old horse. I'm not. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, uh, Haley Andrus of Andrus Cattle Company, for spending your Saturday morning with us and giving our audience a peek inside your cattle operation in Apache County. And Julie, if somebody wanted to support the Farm Bureau, they could join. Uh, for non-ag people, it's only sixty bucks a year. I mean, that's a deal, and obviously you get a lot of benefits. But the big thing for me personally is you're supporting our farmers and ranchers here in the state of Arizona, like Haley and her husband Milo azfb.org to sign up for your membership or if you're looking for a commodity go to fillyourplate.org type in what you're looking for beans oranges cattle beef <laughs> <laughs> put in your zip code and we'll show you locally who's growing it and where to buy it